Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hi, this is David Rothkopf. Welcome to another special podcast in our run-up to the 2020 election. Uh, As you know, each week we're trying to do one or two podcasts in addition to our regular scheduled podcasts that talk about key issues associated with the election. Today we are going to um, talk about some issues that are in the news and the, the broader set of women's and women's health issues that are central uh, to the concerns of many. And we're very fortunate to have with us Cecile Richards, who is co-founder of Supermajority and former president of the Planned Parenthood Federation of America and of the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. Hi, Cecile, thank you for joining us. Good to be with you, David. Um, So, you know, I I would like to talk a little bit about Supermajority and some of what you are doing there, but I can't help but begin um, with the news of the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Today she is um, lying in state uh, at, at, at the Supreme Court. And then on Friday, she'll actually become the first woman and the first Jewish person to lie in state at the US Congress. Um, and while that's all well and good, uh, one can't help but note that it's taken 244 years for a woman to achieve that distinction in the United States, and that the likely consequence of the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg is going to be a further shift on the court to the right and um, a a real precarious moment for a number of critical issues that I know that you've spent much of your life fighting for. So I was wondering what your reaction is to the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and to what lies in store. Well, um, it has been incredibly moving to see, of course, the outpouring of uh, former law clerks, women all across the country, young girls who dressed as Ruth Bader Ginsburg for Halloween. I just see the the um, sort of overwhelming sentiment of um, appreciation for her life and what she meant, particularly in women's equality, has been profound. I think I, like a lot of people, I I. I was so shocked Friday night to get the news because I think I believed that Justice Ginsburg was immortal. She had lived through so much. And as we all knew or know, she had um, hung on um, really literally to the very, to the very end. So uh, it's a, it's a very bittersweet moment. Um, And, you know, as when I was at Planned Parenthood, I of course, had the opportunity to see her in action in, in the court. And in fact, one really important uh, court case on abortion that where she was the literally the only woman um, uh, on the uh, only only woman on the court. And to see this, you know, barely hundred pound woman, five foot, uh, just barely some days over the <laughs> peeking over the um, 
the desk really going to bat for an entire gender, carrying us all on her on her shoulders, which she did most ably. Uh, it was really profound to, to understand just what lack of representation means, particularly the highest court of the land. Um, she was an unapologetic um, feminist and someone who just, who spent her entire life uh, fighting for the equality of women. And of course, so many other issues, as you mentioned, voting rights, you know, social justice, L- LGBTQ rights. The two immediate um, of course, issues that are on my mind and on the minds of so many people are that um, one, of course, abortion rights, where there are now, I think, 17 cases um, in lower courts that are winding their way up to the Supreme Court. Uh, and the, of course, the, the right to safe and legal abortion in this country just is really hangs by a thread. In many states, um, there are only one abortion provider even left due to all the restrictions that are that are put upon abortion providers. So that's very, very significant. Um, and the other, of course, is that a week after this election, the challenge to the Affordable Care Act that the president has been trying to overturn and Mitch McConnell's been trying to overturn ever since um, his election is due to go before this, this court. And of course, we all know that this could mean the loss of health insurance coverage for 20 million Americans and so many things that as women we fought for not having to pay more for insurance coverage, getting birth control covered, a whole host of things, of course, we would lose um, immediately if the Affordable Care Act was um, was r- ruled unconstitutional. So there's a, a lot at risk. And as I think many people have said, it's, losing Ruth Bader Ginsburg was um, the loss of more than just a seat on the Supreme Court. It was a pivotal vote on critical issues. You know, I sometimes describe myself as a scorched earth Democrat. I am one of those people who thinks We've got to do whatever it takes to win. The other side is not playing fair. It doesn't benefit us to go and say, oh my God, they're being hypocritical because they don't care that they're being hypocritical. We have to do, um, uh, you know, fight fire with fire, obviously working within the parameters of the law. Having said that, they're going to win this fight. They're going to put another judge on the court they may do it before election day. They will certainly do it by after election day. Um, that judge is likely to be um, chosen because their views um, are antithetical to those of the majority of people in the United States, both on uh, women's right to choose and on health care. Um, and I guess the, the, the real question, because you've been in this fight for so long, is what then? Rather than, again, hand-wringing, you know, what, what then? What do we do? Do we seek the passage of new laws in the hope that we have a Senate and a majority, a majority in the Senate and the House? Do we um, have some other uh, redress? Or does America sort of fall into... Uh, a divided country where uh, blue states provide certain rights and privileges and red states provide other rights and privileges and and people sort of have to deal with this reality for some time to come. Okay, well, there's a lot of there's a lot in there. So I'll uh, take a couple of things first. One, 
I am a big believer, having been on the losing end of many fights and winning some that we never should have won, that you never give up. So I don't think it's a foregone conclusion what's going to happen in the United States Senate. Uh, and uh, I mean, that's what they said about the Affordable Care Act, that they had the votes and that they were going to overturn it. And of course, that didn't happen because, frankly, women never gave up, kept kept fighting. Um, so I think you you just have to keep fighting. And obviously, we have to tell the American people what's at stake. You're right. I think arguing on the hypocrisy of the United States Senate is a losing battle. The, the opinion of Mitch McConnell is so low, it couldn't go any lower. So I don't think actually damaging his reputation is a, is a valuable or even worthwhile pursuit. Uh, everyone knows he's a hypocrite. I think what's important to explain to the American people is what's at stake. And again, we know right now um, that for the American people, this pandemic has been a catastrophe. There's been no leadership from this administration. In fact, now we find out, of course, not just no leadership, they literally have lied to the American people. And yet, at the same moment, when they can't do any, they haven't done anything to extend unemployment benefits, to deal with all the crises in healthcare and our economy, um, the crisis in childcare, the crisis in public education, yet they can all rush back to Washington, D.C. in order to jam through a Supreme Court justice. I think that's really important to voters to understand where the priorities of this president are and specifically to understand that health care, which is the number one concern of the majority of voters in this country, that they are now trying to get a Supreme Court justice who would in fact vote to overturn the Affordable Care Act, um, risk people with pre-existing conditions, which there are of course already millions and now at least 7 million um, who have had COVID and so uh, potentially would also lose um, access to health insurance coverage. These are very real issues. And so if in fact Mitch McConnell and the Republicans and Donald Trump decide to um, you know, just go for broke here, it's critical that all of us make clear to the American people what that means. In terms of longer term strategies, I mean, there are a lot of options, but to me, the one that I, I um, think is really important not to lose sight of and not to take our eyes off the ball on is voting. That is the number one way that we can change what's going to happen. We have an election um, in about 40 days now. Um, and for me, I've been focused since for the last three and a half years on women voters. They're gonna be the majority of voters in this country. They overwhelmingly oppose this president suburban women, um, women in blue states, women in red states, young women, black women, you name it. And uh, the important thing to me is that we, in the as we fight the Supreme Court battle, that we don't lose sight of the fact that there are millions and millions of women who need to know how they can vote, how they can vote safely. Um, and that's really what I've turned my attention to. So what happens though in the next phase? Let's say that people vote. Let's say that we get to the the outcome that seems likely right now. Joe Biden and and I and I don't take anything for granted. Yes, I think we can't. I mean, let's be honest. There's no way to anyone who's predicting what's happening not only on November third, but as we know, this election will not be over November third because of the, you know, just rampant. Um, disorganization by this federal government. Um, but in, in any case, yeah, I don't think we can take anything for granted about what happens on November 3rd. Right, but, 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 but yes. And by the way, for those of you who, whose minds have not run quite as dark as they should on all of this, go read the Atlantic piece by Barton Gelman on how the Republicans are planning um, to potentially steal this election again. But for the, for the moment, let's just 
look at the polls and look at where we are and say, well, what if Joe Biden, Kamala Harris win? What if the Democrats have 50 seats, 51 seats, 52 seats in the Senate and a 6-3 advantage in the Supreme Court? Does ACA go down in the Supreme Court? Does Roe versus Wade go down? And what then? Well, there's so many what ifs. And I, I guess I just am a big believer in not getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, I do think the point you're making is really, really critical. And that is Donald Trump has now had two appointments to the Supreme Court and now potentially a third. This is a president who has never purported to represent the majority of America, has never even tried to, in fact, makes a specific um, specifically um, and expressly states that he doesn't really respect or represent really the majority of Americans. And so then I do think, I mean, we are in a, uh, a real constitutional crisis uh, with his ability now, as he already has in lower courts, to, to completely remake the federal judiciary. And I know that there are all kinds of options people are thinking about, but I just think it's important before we start speculating or, or even as people are thinking about what could happen, um, my biggest concern is that people are going to forget about what the work we have to do, and that is getting people out to vote. I mean, you know, um, and I'm sure your listeners do, the barriers to voting in this country, particularly for women, for people of color, uh, for folks with low income, are, are profound. And of course, we have an administration that is now doing everything they can to make voting harder, to make it, um, to not make it safe, to uh, make people concerned about absentee voting, mail-in voting, like the president does. So I just, um, my worry is that we get ahead of ourselves and we don't put the energy and time we need to, need to uh, in order to ensure that everyone can vote. Um, I mean, one of the things we've done at Supermajority is literally put up a site where any woman can find out if she's registered, how she can vote in her community, because so many people don't know, you know, the rules have changed. Uh, what the ballot will will look like um, and what the deadlines are, how she can vote safely. To me, that's the most important thing. And if we can win a majority in the United States Senate, which I think we can, as you say, if we win this presidency, then I think we can evaluate the options, how to make sure that we have a government that actually represents all the people. It is important just to kind of underscore something that you mentioned, you know, the right to make your own decisions about your pregnancy, um, essentially what Roe established, has, has been a right that folks have had for more than 40 years. The overwhelming majority of people in this country support access to safe and legal abortion. They believe it should be a decision made by people who are pregnant, not by politicians. And to have a court that so um, squarely goes against the, the will of the people, I just think is a really dangerous, is a dangerous prospect. Um, one other thing, though, that we should remind everyone is this isn't really a speculative question. Donald Trump ran as a for president uh, as someone who said he would only appoint justices who are committed to overturning Roe versus Wade. And he's already done with two. And all indications are he's about to appoint a third. Um, he is the most political um, you know, president we've ever had who clearly is not thinking about judicial independence. He's thinking about advancing his own right-wing agenda. And that's a very scary prospect. 
So tell me a little bit about what Supermajority is doing around these issues. Um, uh, because I share your view. We've got to do first things first. The reason I brought up the other things is I, I, I worry that we're going to get, 40 days is going to pass pretty quickly. And we're going to find ourselves on the other side of all of this. And it's going to require another kind of strategy and mobilization. But let's look at, let's look at the near term. Supermajority is something fairly new that you've got up and going, and it's got a big role to play. What is your focus with it over the next 40 days? So, yeah, we, we launched a little over a year ago as a multiracial home for women's political activism and voting. And we are now just 100% focused on that. In fact, we're holding a big um, virtual convention this weekend uh, for women. I know that more than 50,000 women have already pre-registered. And this is to make sure that not only that women are inspired and supported and and really frankly coming together in community right now because women need that, but that they also have all the tools they need to make sure every woman they know is registered and she votes. So it's everything from making your plan to vote, it's um, engaging women in something we've been doing now for months, which is texting women across the country uh, who are more likely to need encouragement to go vote, registering women to vote, phone banking. And I think actually in the next 40 days, you'll also see an increased um, amount of door knocking and literature drops, things that we traditionally do around election time, but that have been less um, less possible because of the, the COVID pandemic. Uh, we're still fine. I mean, there are so many young women who've never voted before. This is a new experience. They are highly motivated, but they need information to be able to do that. And then on October 17th, Saturday, October 17th, we're declaring a national um, day of voting for women. Many, many states will be actually voting still in person, uh, drop-off voting, certainly absentee voting. Some states will still be registering to vote. And this is a moment in which I think, you know, given, given the climate, as we talked about earlier, given the passing of Justice Ginsburg, which has just added fuel to the flame uh, of women's energy at this moment, we're just ensuring that there's not a single woman in this country who wants to be engaged in getting others to vote or just to making sure she can vote herself. But there's not a single woman that we're not um, providing those opportunities. I think the other important piece of this is, um, you know, there is enormous distrust from uh, certainly about the president, uh, the United States Senate under Mitch McConnell and but who women do trust is each other. And a big part of what we've been doing over the last year is what we, you know, fondly call relational organizing. To me, it's just good old fashioned organizing. That is women talking to other women, uh, giving them the encouragement and support they need and sometimes the information they need to go vote. And, and that's what we're doing every single day. That's what I get up in the morning and do. And except for the break on this podcast today, <laughs> that's what I'll be doing until later tonight. Well, this podcast could help in that regard. This event you're doing this weekend is is open to the public, and if so, how do they find it? Sure, sure. It's open to the public. It's free. We're going to have all kinds of great folks, including Senator Kamala Harris and Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and also fun like comedians and actresses and musicians. And because we do believe that um, this work has to be joyful, uh, and so yeah, you can go to supermajority um, supermajority dot com and sign up. It's called Supercharge. And uh, it's, yeah, drop in, drop out. You can come in for the speakers that you're interested in, the panels you're interested in. 
we're going to be talking about everything from racial justice to environmental justice to equal pay, um, as well as having some sort of fun, fun explainers on how to make your plan to vote. So everyone's invited. And it doesn't, you don't just have to be a woman. Um, anyone can come. Uh, no, it sounds, sounds great. It sounds extraordinarily timely for both good and bad reasons. Um, we've got about eight, nine minutes left. I, I'd like to look um, at the uh, sort of medium, medium term agenda. Um, again, say we get past the election. Again, you know, we, we could find ourselves in a, in a fairly positive play. First of all, I think many of us would be relieved if we end the Trump era. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah, right. Um, but 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 Joe Biden um, uh, being elected um, could usher in a real period of of opportunity on on all the issues that you care about. I mean, you have Kamala Harris potentially as the the, the first nationally elected woman um, uh, to the executive in the line to the presidency ever in American history. You'll have a woman as speaker of the house. Um, uh, the, 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 the reality is despite the fact that we don't particularly, uh, uh like the, uh, candidates that, that, uh, that Trump is considering putting up there, uh, he, he does seem likely to nominate a woman to the court. Uh, there are more women, in, in the House and the Senate than ever before, and that may well increase in November. So what should the agenda be during the transition and immediately afterwards? I've been uh, in, involved to some small degree, but admiring uh, an organization in the national security space, Elsie uh, Wins, which went all, to all the campaigns and said, please make a pledge that half of your senior national security appointments will be women. And during the, the, the first couple of months after an election, a lot can be done within an administration that can establish a commitment to equity and diversity. How important is that? And then once a new president is inaugurated, knock wood, should that happen? What should the priorities be? So absolutely representation matters and I'm kind of back to our original conversation about the Supreme Court I can't overstate the excitement and enthusiasm for Kamala Harris uh, not only obviously the first woman in the executive branch the first African American woman first Indian American woman of Indian American descent a, an unabashed progressive who has been a fighter on so many issues. Uh, and I, I really love the fact that Kamala Harris is running, not just sort of as the sidekick for Joe Biden, but really as a as a partner. And I, I really appreciate that she is a leader in her own right, and is going to, um, she'll be an extraordinary vice president. Of course, uh, Vice President Biden's already made commitments around gender equity in his cabinet, uh, around the Supreme Court. And look, I the, the world is changing. I was actually just speaking with, um, not to name drop, but I will. Uh, I was having a conversation with Speaker Pelosi this week in advance of this supercharge event. We were doing a little, having a little conversation that we're going to um, be in on Saturday. And you know, it's kind of interesting when when uh, she first came to Congress, less than five percent of Congress uh, was female, and today um, it's almost twenty five percent. 
Now, of course, that's it's it's a shame that it's taken that long. And actually, I was just looking at the numbers in in the Democratic caucus. It's almost 40 percent. So if the Republicans ever actually got it together and thought that women should be in office, we could really put some put some numbers up on the board. But the world is changing. I think the more African-American women are running for Congress this year than ever before in history. And just will just continue uh, to make gains. And of course, that's only speaking about nationally. I know my home state of Texas, women are running for everything, everywhere, uh, and and not just um, not just a certain kind of women. I mean, young women, women of color, um, women from all kinds of different backgrounds. So I feel like sort of like you know the cows out of the barn on this one. This we are not going to go back to a day where there was not representation. We just need to kind of keep it going and 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 make it make it go faster in terms of what the agenda should be. So I think that'll be a big part of what, you know, this sort of establishing a new, a new federal government will be. And, and again, I mean, what I would say too, is about the women in Congress is that they're like outsized in their influence as you see their leadership is everywhere in terms of issues. You know, there's so many things that women care about across the board that are often just not the priority when it comes to the governing time. And that's a big part of what supermajority has been about. It's not just, we hope prevailing in an election um, to get people who support gender equity in office, but then having enough of a, a movement behind that that we can help now push forward an agenda. The things that we've we've been deeply in conversation with women around the country, what they care about now is racial justice. There is, and this is across race. This is you know women who are saying we have got to take this seriously and see real action. Uh, they are desperately concerned about healthcare. So we need not only to shore up the ACA, improve it, um, and expand access to healthcare in America. Economic inequity, uh, as we know, this pandemic has hit hardest among women and women of color, women with low incomes, women who earn the minimum wage. I'm glad to hear Joe Biden and Kamala Harris talk repeatedly about raising the minimum wage, about seriously taking uh, pay equity um, as, as, a, as a top priority. And the fourth thing we heard over and over again is democracy reform. And that means making sure that everyone can vote, that, that they can vote safely, and that every vote is counted. Women are very much aware um, that there are efforts in place to try to keep them from voting. And they realize we can't have a real democracy until everyone actually is afforded that opportunity. You know, I witnessed that myself campaigning for Stacey Abrams for governor, you know, who, um, despite everything she did, you know, if every vote had been counted in Georgia um, and everyone had been allowed to vote, she would be Governor Abrams today. And women are aware of that. Um, yes. And, and I, I believe Speaker Pelosi, who I believe you worked for. I did. I did. Um, has introduced a new set of reforms that are associated with trying to uh, clean up the mess to some degree in, in Washington. Barack Obama came in and the first thing he did was the Lilly Ledbetter Act. Is there some first gesture, priority, symbol, sign that you'd like to see? Wow. You know, I hadn't even, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but I do think um, economic inequity and healthcare inequity are two issues that where we do need immediate action, uh, I think one of the most horrifying parts of this pandemic is how it has disproportionately fallen on uh, women, pe- uh, pe- women of color, people of color, the uh, the racism that is that throughout our healthcare system, 
uh, and the lack of um, equal access to care is is really deep. So I hope whatever whatever economic and healthcare um, priorities that a new administration, a Biden Harris administration, puts forward, that they think not only about gender but about race, and um, because we know it's it's not equal and it's not fair. Of course, as someone who um, worked for Planned Parenthood for all these years too, and again facing what you've alluded to on this new Supreme Court. We need to get serious about establishing abortion rights in this country um, by law and not relying um, on the vicissitudes of a Supreme Court that at this point is um, highly unpredictable. And as we know, will be disproportionately represented by appointees uh, from Donald Trump. Yeah, excellent point. And, and, and frankly, one that I was thinking about from the very beginning, which is if we do end up with this court, there's a lot of people talking about court packing and you know, impeaching justices and all these other things, which are a little bit more far-fetched. It would be well within the normal activity of the Congress, particularly if they're a Democratic majority in the Senate and the House, to put into law those rights for women and to do that early on. And that would, that would offset the role of the courts in all of this. Uh, and, and if, in fact, the courts are going to have a thumb on the scale for some time to come, I think that kind of uh, active and informed legislation is going to be extremely important. And, and, I, and I, you know, I also, listening to you, it's also clear, um, uh, having a COVID plan, having a strategy, and starting to actually rein in this problem is going to help tens of millions of people, a majority of whom are women. Um, and, and so that's that's also you know, something that, that has to be factored in. Well, look, we've run out of time. I know you've got a lot going on. Uh, I'm really, really grateful that you took the time out of your day uh, to share half an hour with us and with our tens of thousands of listeners who are deeply, deeply engaged in these issues. And I hope a lot of them will go and join you this weekend. What's the name of the event again? Sure. It's called Supercharge. And you can go to supermajority.com. You can come in, drop in, you know, listen to what you're interested in. I hope get inspired. Um, and the other thing that's really important is you can come to supermajority.com and find out if you're registered to vote. Even if you are registered and you can you know, you know make, make sure of that, you can find out what the rules are in your community, where your voting place is. Uh, and and you'll actually be able to look at, too, what the ballot's going to look like ahead of voting. This, to me, is really important, and it's a service that we think is critical to ensure that women have all the tools they need to vote um, and have their vote counted this, this November. Thank you very, very much, Cecile Richards. I encourage all of you to do just as she said. Uh, we've got a lot coming up this week and next week and up and through the election. Many, many new special conversations like this one. So go to the dsrnetwork.com, see what the schedule is. And if you feel so inclined, click on membership and, and provide us with support for more like this. Um, and, uh, and, and do the same when you get to supermajority.com. Thank you very, very much. Thanks, David. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.